Well, good morning again. Good to see you all. I'm excited to continue in the Word. If, if you're new here or a visitor, uh, I want to let you know you're jumping in on almost the middle of something that we're doing as a church family. We're doing what Gabby just alluded to, the year of the Bible, albeit not Genesis to Exodus, <laughs> Genesis to Revelation. We can have fun and poke at each other, right? Genesis to Revelation. We're going January through December, Genesis to Revelation, and kind of touching on the high points, if you will, of Scripture, following the, the main uh, meta narrative, uh, fancy word for just following the thread of the story and uh, stopping on some high points. And we have a reading plan that we're reading throughout the week. And um, if you want to jump in on that with us, you can grab that reading plan at the info desk once service is out. And you can also pull it up on our website, wog.church. But we read the reading plan in the week, and then we teach and talk about it on Sunday. And a lot of community groups are also discussing it throughout the week. So if you're not jumping in on this with us, uh, we'd love to have you. And if you're that person who every now and then I'm going to touch on this because I know us, if you're that person who's gone, hey, you know, I was doing it, but I kind of straight off of it or got busy or got behind, go ahead, forgive yourself, give yourself some grace and jump right back in where we are. This week's reading plan will be week 21. Having said that, a um, little story, I remember uh, not too long ago, not hard to remember, Easter, we celebrated Easter as a church family, of course, and uh, Holy Week for a family in ministry for pastors' families is a little more demanding than the average week. And I don't say that to complain at all. It's a wonderful week. I would call it delightfully intensive uh, or delightfully intensive. But having more on the plate during Holy Week as a pastor and as our family, my girls don't get to see me as much that week. And so we planned something, Katie and I, that... Um, Sunday, Easter Sunday, after service was over, we would hop in the van and drive down to Florida and have a vacation together, just the four of us, putting our phones away as much as we could, have some quality time together as a wife and a husband and son or, or daughters. We don't have any sons, but just the four of us together, enjoying each other's company, having a blast, getting some rest, and all the fun things that are entailed in a family vacation, driving from Wisconsin to Florida with a three-year-old and a five-year-old. But... Um, it was just that. It was a wonderful time we had together. And when we got down to Florida, we were, we were in Destin. If you've ever been there, the beaches are gorgeous, just beautiful white sand, pristine, clear water. And so we get there in the evening. It's still sun out. And uh, we were especially grateful because I don't know if you remember, but that day it snowed in Wisconsin on the evening of Easter. So we were enjoying the sunshine and the warmth a little bit more than we would have otherwise. And we get out to, uh, we're on the back patio of the condo after we checked in, and there are flags out, of course. There is a, a green flag. The second day that we were there, there was a yellow flag out. The third and fourth days that we were there, there was a red flag out. Many of you know what that means, and I'll get to that in a moment. But just beautiful, beautiful sand. And in fact, we got off to the edge of the deck, and we stepped into it, and my little three-year-old Joey went, oh, it's so fluffy. And then she became a, a creature possessed and began running, running in circles without a care in the world, enjoying that fluffy white powdery sand. And uh, it was a, a joy to my heart to watch her do that. And then the next day, we had planned to have some time out on the beach. You know, beach time was kind of winding down to the day that we arrived. So the next day, we planned to go out to the beach 
And at this point, the flag was yellow. And obviously, that flag, green, yellow, or red, is trying to tell you different levels of caution that you need to have relative to the water, that there's potential because of wind and the currents and all that kind of stuff, that there could be rip currents, and it could be dangerous for you. And so uh, having said all that, my wife, my daughters, myself, all of us, in the time that we were there, had a mixture of of awe and and feelings of wonder and beauty and different levels of fear. For example, we went up to the water's edge. We got up to uh, the shore. And honestly, about from me to the front row from the water. And at that point, my daughter, Joey, the three-year-old, starts grabbing me tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and then starts saying, Daddy, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go in there, Daddy. I don't want to go in there. And she's shaking and grabbing me because the, what she had once at a distance seen as beautiful and inviting and, and just gorgeous, she got closer to and she saw the cascading waves and heard the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. That's the rest of the sermon for the next 40 minutes. Just whoosh, just kidding. <laughs> and to the point where seeing and, and hearing and sensing something that she thought she should be scared of, and rightly so, she did not want to get into the water. And even Marley was a little like, like timid, looking at the water, not sure she wanted to get in. And I'm like, let's go get in. And Marley like gets her toes in, and then she'll get her feet in. And, and then it came to this point where she grew in a little bit more bravery, and she turned it into this game where she jumped over every single wave. As she got a little bit more brave, a little bit more brave, she'd jump over the waves. And then two times, she was a little too brave, brave for her size and missed time to jump. And the wave went, goosh, and feet went like this. And uh, she came up, <laughs> and so, uh, but even beyond that, me as a 37-year-old grown man, I wasn't able to get into the water really until one of the days that we were out when there was a red flag. And so I'm aware that means there could be rip currents. That means if I'm not careful in the way that I relate to the water, I could end up hurt or dead. And it's so interesting, though, that this scene is something that is equal parts to me beautiful and enjoyable and pleasurable and just wonderful and awe-inspiring when you look at the ocean and how vast it is, yet it's also something that at the same time is to be feared and respected and navigated rightly. You can boat in the ocean with pleasure and with joy, and you can boat in the ocean recklessly and it be your destruction you can swim in the ocean with delight and joy and you can swim in the ocean to your destruction you can play in the ocean all these different things you could fish in the ocean to your joy and you could also fish to your destruction and so there are ways that we need to live in that balance of the fear and the wonder and you can obviously guess where this is going again as we've been in the book of proverbs the last two weeks Last week, we began the conversation really talking about what is a refrain or a theme in the book of Proverbs, but not only in the book of Proverbs, essentially throughout Scripture, and that is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs is in some ways similar to that green and yellow and red flag, warning us that that there is something present to be feared that affects the way that we go, the way that we live, the things that we do, the things that we don't do. Proverbs 
continues the biblical refrain of the fear of the Lord. In fact, I want to read through a bunch of these verses really quick. For time's sake, I am going to uh, just blast through these. You don't need to turn there because we won't have enough time for all of that. But I'm just going to go through a bunch of these verses to try and help you feel that refrain. Because sometimes we read and a certain verse will stand out to us more than others, but I want you to just feel the quantity and the refrain of these. Proverbs 1-7 we read last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 29, talking about those who rejected wisdom because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2-5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. It's talking about those who heard and received the call of wisdom. Excuse me. Proverbs 8-13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 9-10, one more time, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little, talking about wealth and possessions, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it, saying it's better to have a little wealth, little possessions, and have the fear of the Lord than to have great possessions and the trouble that comes with it without the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16, verse 6, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 23.17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. In case you're going, okay, well, that's obviously thematic in the book of Proverbs, but let's make sure and keep the main thing the main thing. Well, it's not only thematic in Proverbs. I'm sure you can recall as we've been through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, that we have seen plenty of the people of God fearing the Lord and therefore following and serving him where nations saw what God did and it said, and they had the fear of God arose in them as nations. In fact, uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 31 and 12. It says, assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. Joshua 4.24 so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's go to the Psalm. Psalm 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who oppose uh, or those who hope And in steadfast love, even there we see the fear of the Lord is not contrary to hope in the Lord. And his steadfast love, that it says those who fear the Lord hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 23 and uh, 22, 23, 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. You praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Psalm 25 and 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Let's look at what one of the prophets, Isaiah, he said many things about the fear of the God. I'll highlight one, Isaiah 50 and verse 10. He said, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Okay, okay, get, we get it, Pastor Stephen, that's enough. But Pastor Stephen also, that's all Old Testament. I'm glad you said so. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was, bu- uh, and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Notice there that the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit are also not contrary to one another. Acts 19, 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, talking about the ministry of reconciliation where we're calling everyone to be reconciled to God. He says in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. He's saying, talking about how we'll stand before him one day because we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade others to be reconciled to God also. This, this fear of the Lord that I, I'm concerned that many in the church do not have a paradigm, and I'm not just saying in word of grace, I mean the church at large, especially in America, do not have a paradigm, a healthy, developed, biblical view of the fear of the Lord. And I think that experience of what we had with the ocean is somewhat similar, and that there is a fear that we need to approach the Lord with where we're recognizing the power, the capacity to destroy us that's present, but also the depths that can be enjoyed and delighted in. There is joy cited in these verses in the Lord. There is hope. There is steadfast love cited in the same verses of the fear of the Lord. Another great way to explain it, uh, I was having a conversation this last week with a few guys, and one of my friends, Josh, reminded me of many of you have probably read the Chronicles of Narnia. And how in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, yeah, all right, big fan. The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, there's a moment where Susan is talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And she's talking to them about Aslan, the king. And they tell her he's a lion. She was assuming that he was a man. And she says, is he quite safe? I shall feel nervous about meeting a lion. (laughs) That you will, dearie, and no mistake said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. I love what Mr. Beaver said too. He said, Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I definitely had way too much fun with that. Thank you for humoring me. The principle that C.S. Lewis so beautifully captured in the Chronicles of Narnia, especially there in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Susan's going, wait, this lion, he's, the king's a lion? I'm a little nervous to meet him. And Mrs. Beaver says, yeah, you should be. And Mr. Beaver says, whoever said anything about safe? 
but he is good. He is king, I tell you. I think we have to learn to live in the tension and the balanced biblical view that we get from all of Scripture, not from cherry-picking and not from just highlighting the parts we like, but a balanced view from Toda Scriptura, all of the Bible, that helps us recognize the relationship we have with God is one that is a balance of reverent fear, recognizing the lion's capacity to devour but also the joy that comes in being loved by the lion, being fought for by the lion, being saved by the lion, being forgiven by the lion that nonetheless does not stop, as Mrs. Beaver so wisely said, does not stop our posture from being one of knocking knees, this tension that we are called to live in today the popular idea is that Jesus is our homeboy. And I know that can be a funny shirt or a funny meme, but there can be a lack of reverence among us that we have too low a view of God, not a high enough view of God, whereby we come into church on Sunday, we gather together with the body of Christ to worship God, and without a high enough view of God, we can come in and go, all right, what songs are we singing today? And I've got that... Uh, you know, that roast on the, in the crock and we get distracted and we're not fully present and or we, we can determine the, the goodness of a worship set by did the band play the song that gets me just right? Did I get hit? Was I, was I moved by the music today rather than being moved by the lion that is being worshipped? Like when we come in on Sunday... Does it, do, do we need the right song? Does Pastor Stephen have to hit the sermon just right to give us the feels? Do we have to get that oomph for God to be any, to be worthy of our devotion, of our worship, where we bring an offering to him whether we feel like it or not? Whether we feel like it or not, he is worthy of our worship. Whether we feel like it or not, he is worthy of our devotion. Whether we feel like it or not, there is a God to whom we are to fear and also know that that fearful God has also invited us into love and into relationship, into closeness where we can come boldly to the throne of grace, we can come confidently before the Father because of what this lion accomplished for us. The book of Proverbs is trying not only to give us wisdom for wisdom's sake. It's not just saying, hey, here's how to live smart. Here's wise things to do and here's dumb things to do. The book of Proverbs is giving us wisdom that is trying to reorient our devotion. That's why the anchor, the foundation of this book of wisdom continues to touch again and again on the refrain of the fear of the Lord. And it says of the fool that they had no knowledge of the Holy One and that the fear of the Lord was not in them. Think about what Mrs. Beaver said there again. She said, Right? You are to be nervous. And then she said, for those who come before Aslan without their knees knocking are either braver than most or are silly. And that's one of the two primary characters we see contrasted in the book of Proverbs trying to help us see there are two people on two paths. 
There is the wicked on the path or the way of destruction, and there are those who fear the Lord on the way of holiness and righteousness. See, the book of wisdom is not about making the right decision. Let me make sure I get the wisdom on on financial matters so in the moment of decision relative to finances, I can make a wise decision. It is trying to, at every bit, every moment of the way, reorient our hearts to where we're not just making wise decisions here and there as is pertinent, but that we are walking on the path, on the way of wisdom, having our hearts, our minds, our lives completely oriented to this holy God, this good and powerful God. See, we all have an orientation that drives our devotion. All of us do. I don't have to sit here today and ask you, so today, are you a worshiper today? Are you devoted today? The answer at that generic level is yes, you are. The question is, what is the object of your worship, of your devotion? Everybody's a worshiper of something at some capacity. Everyone gives themselves in devotion of varying levels to varying things. I am devoted to my wife. I am devoted to my daughters. I'm devoted to this church family. I am devoted to God. I'm also devoted to golf. I'm also devoted to the Cowboys. Forgive me. I also have many areas in my life to which I am devoted. But where does the most devotion come from? This is seen in every area of our life. Jesus himself said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What has first place in our life? What are we completely oriented around to where it is seen in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the things that we do, the things that we don't do, the way we handle our finances, everything we do, the way that we vote, the way that we participate in society? All of these things are revealing our devotions. They're revealing the way that we're walking based on what's most important to us. Now, at a really elementary, silly level, I mentioned like I'm devoted to golf. In a a shallow way, I love golf. Like that's part of what I love in my life, but I definitely don't love golf the way I love my wife. And I definitely don't love golf the way I love the Lord or love my kids. But there is a sense in which I delight in golf to the extent that even when we're traveling, like when we just drove to Florida, I do this stupid thing that has no point, really. We're driving Wisconsin to Florida, and the whole way, nonstop, I am constantly scanning to see a golf course. See golf courses that I will never stop at and play. But because I have a a love and a devotion to the game of golf, there is an interest in me that just keeps looking for them. And and I think about, Pastor Gino's a great example of this too. He loves golf, where we will be in this week, and if he's watching right now, I love you, buddy. He's out on paternity leave with their newborn baby girl. Praise God for a healthy delivery. Um, But he will be, I will come out of my office, see him talking out here to somebody about worship or something like that, having a meeting, and mid-conversation, he's going. It's like, bro, aren't you talking about the piano right now? But that devotion, that, that, that orientation towards something that he loves, that we love, comes out in conversation. If we're having lunch together, it comes out all the time, what we shot, what we scored, the problems that we had. And that is an elementary, silly, petty devotion. 
Like golf does not in any way deserve the devotion that our Lord does. What I'm trying to reveal is there is a devotion that all of us have and it's revealed in what we say, what we do, where we go. And hopefully, I think about the Lord more than I do about golf. Hopefully, I think about the Lord and talk about the Lord more than I do golf or, or anything in my life. We all have an orientation. See, Proverbs is a book that is trying to reorient us, not just teach us some good little nuggets here and there for when they're appropriate. It's trying to reorient us, which is why there is a constant use of, of words that are orientational. For example, I'm just really quickly, again, you don't have to go there uh, today, I'm just going to really quickly hit, I went through Proverbs and I highlighted in a certain color all the phrases that I, that I thought were orientational. And so let's uh, see uh, verse 8 from chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, meaning don't let it get away. Uh, verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, talking about the wicked. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, that's a orientation, a directional phrase. Let's go to chapter two, that whole opening of my son. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive, orienting your ear to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, I read this last week, and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. God. Uh, verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's chapter 3. Here we go. We're going to read this in a moment, but verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Uh, verse 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Verse 23. Then you will walk on your way securely. Chapter 4. Hear, O son, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain in insight. Verse 2, do not forsake my teaching. Verse 4, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Verse 5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Verse 7, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Verse 8, prize her highly. If you embrace her, she will honor you. Verse 10, hear my son and accept my words. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Verse 15, avoid it and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. On and on. There's a lot more. I'd keep going, but we're going to run out of time. Proverbs is a book that is not only trying to just give us nuggets of wisdom, it is trying to train and reorient us on a way, on a path. See, the way of wisdom, the Christian faithful way, is just that, a way. It's not some one-time transaction. If you are confident that you're a Christian because one time you just said a prayer after some preacher and there you got your check mark, or if it's because as an infant you got baptized or because you got confirmed, if your confidence in the Lord is because you did one thing one time and not because you are walking on a path, I would encourage you to do what, Prover or what, what Paul said, to evaluate yourself, to search yourself. To see if you are in the way is what Paul said. 
Examine yourself to see if you are in the way. Well, how do I know if I have assurance of my faith? Are you walking in the way right now? I'm not saying you are saved because you are in the way, but if you are saved, you ought to be walking in the way. You're not saved because you're being good or doing good or making good decisions. You are saved solely by having faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. You are saved by grace through faith alone, not of works. But if you are a Christian born again by the Holy Spirit of God made new, you are called into a way, a path. And even Jesus said multiple times he talked about how there are two paths. There is the broad and winding path that leads to destruction and many find it. And he said narrow and straight and few find the way that leads to life that ought to be sobering to us. That Jesus, who knows everything, said it's narrow, straight, difficult, the way that leads to life. Proverbs chapter 1 opens telling us, hey, the point of this book is to gain wisdom, knowledge, instruction. Then it goes on giving warnings about going the way of the wicked and being seduced by their ways. Then it goes into the call to wisdom where wisdom cries out to the streets, calls out to any who would hear, come my way. And then finally, we read last week about how Proverbs goes into giving us the value of wisdom, that, that like precious treasure, like silver, like gold, we are to seek it and pursue it. And then we find ourselves at Proverbs chapter 3. I want to read there today. Proverbs chapter 3. We find ourselves in a passage now that, that reveals this devotion, this orientation of devotion to the Lord. Chapter or 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Here come two of my favorite verses, five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And I, I forgot to put the rest in my notes, but I'll keep reading through verse 12. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We see a picture here of someone who is devoted, someone who is acknowledging we are invited to not lean on our own understanding, but to trust the Lord with all of our hearts, that we lean not into our own understanding, but in all our ways, not most of our ways, not our ways when things get rough, not our big important life decision ways like house and marriage and cars and all that, in all our ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct our path. See, we have been invited, not only invited, but called into a way of 
devotion. Even there it said, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your produce. And this is, this is contrasted in the book of Proverbs by the wicked, those who are on a way of laziness, those who are on a way of straying into destruction and lustful desires and passions of the flesh. They're contrasted against each other. Those who are fools are compared against. See, Proverbs reveals to us that there is a God who is worthy of our devotion, a God to be feared, who is also to be loved, rejoiced over, or rejoiced in, celebrated in, delighted in, pursued, as we orient our lives in full devotion to him. Let's flip really quick to the New Testament. I want to look at a couple of New Testament pictures of this. John chapter 15, Jesus is with his disciples. The day before, or the night before, he's going to be arrested, betrayed, and goes to die on the cross. He's with his disciples, having what is really the last time that he's with them in the upper room. John chapter 15 and verse 1, I want you to catch the refrain. There's a word in here you're going to notice. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pause. Guys, growing in your faith, growing in your relationship with the Lord matters. It's seen right there. He's saying if we're not if, we're, if we are connected to that vine that is Jesus, we will be bearing fruit. And also, if we're bearing fruit, he's going to prune us and trim more things out of our life so that we can be even more fruitful. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That's a fear of the Lord passage. That is sobering. That is evaluational. We look at that. We don't want to be that branch. Verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Was there a word in that passage that stood out to you? There's a refrain in there. What's the word that stood out? I put a little emphasis on those syllables uh, <laughs> on purpose. Abide, abide, abide. There is a theme there we want to see that the Lord wants us to see, the call to not only make a one-time decision or to treat God casually or familiarly where we check in with him once a week on Sunday, but that we abide 
in him. That word denotes dwelling, living with, living in. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And there was even a fear of God warning put in there that those who are not bearing fruit are cut off and they wither and they're cast into the fire. But not only that fear of God picture there, because he finished by saying, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, that abiding in the Lord, being oriented around him and walking his way, his path, is the way to true joy. Not fleeting, worldly, passing pleasures. Not happiness that's circumstantial. Not highs and lows and roller coasters that are determined by what we're going through on any given day, but a joy that comes and is sustained by abiding in Christ. This same John wrote the letter, 1 John. Let's flip there really quick. 1 John chapter 1. I'm sorry, my clocks are gone. Can so, you got time? Nope. You don't got it? No. All right. Well, there's kids in the kids' wing. That's what I think about when I talk about time. Thank you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk... There's more of those way and path words. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John saying here, there is a way again in the light, not in the dark. Let's skip ahead to chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Skip ahead to verse 15 and 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I think these are passages that give a beautiful New Testament parallel to what we see in Proverbs that there is a contrast between the way of light and the way of darkness. And if we have convinced ourselves that we have relationship with him where we know him, but we're walking in darkness, it says we've lied and deceived ourselves. We make him a liar and the truth is not in us. That there is a way to walk as a son, a daughter of God. So we need to ask ourselves today, what do my words, my actions, my priorities, my budgets say that I'm devoted to? If there was a catalog taken of your life, 
if there was cameras following you around, if someone did a deep dive into your life, would we see devotion to the Lord? And I don't say any of this today to say, do better. Be better, guys. This is all evaluational. For me, I'm prone to wander. This is why we need the scripture daily. This is why we need the word of God every day in our lives because we are daily hit by voices and influences that want to seduce us away into the way and the path of destruction. This is why we daily need the word of God. This is why we daily need fellowship with other believers. This is why we daily commune with the Lord through prayer to keep our orientation set on him, on his path, on his way. So what does my life say about my orientation? What does my life say about my devotion? See, when inflation comes, we're talking about money, the economy, and I'm not getting political, so shut it. (laughs) When inflation means that we have to reevaluate our budget, we have to determine what are things that we're going to cut out for now. Will our bank statements reveal devotion to God or devotion to binging our favorite programs or or our devotion to our hobbies, our devotion to our comfort. When summer rolls around and the nice temperatures are here to stay, (laughs) will it look like I'm devoted to God and to his people or like I'm devoted to leisure and pleasure? I am not bashing on vacations or things like that or if something important comes up, but I, I, I really struggle with how it feels like Jesus is less important in the summer. I struggle with that. When we're tired and didn't get enough sleep or tired at the end of the day and it's time to read scripture and pray and spend time with the Lord, will it look like we're devoted to God or like we're devoted to bed and rest? And Jesus gives us rest. When it's time to live righteously among our coworkers who are living in darkness, will it look like we're devoted to our holy God or like we're devoted to the opinions of men? We all have choices every day to make that reveal which path and which devotion, which loyalty, which orientation we have. God, I pray today by your word that, again, you you would continue to just confront us. We need it regularly. And God, I thank you that the confrontation of your word and the conviction of your Holy Spirit is never without an invitation that you uh, confront, confront our, our, our desire to wander, you confront our wrong beliefs, our wrong ideas, you confront our familiarity and our comfort and our lack of passion, but God, you also invite us into commitment. You invite us into devotion. You divide us into passion. You divide us into love with you. You divide us into the depths of joy that cannot be found in other things in this world. And so, God, I pray today that you would stir our affections for you, stir our devotion to you, rewire our orientation to be set and locked and focused on you in a way that it's abundantly clear to everyone that we know that you are on the throne of our hearts, that you have no rival, no equal when it comes to the priorities of our hearts that our love for you would be a response to all that you've done for us, that we would rightly fear you and therefore also rightly love you, that we would respond to you in humble adoration 
in awe and in wonder. God, I ask today that if there's anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes to see the truth, that you would save them from their sin, that you'd help them repent and turn from the path of wickedness to the path of life in Christ. Let them know that you rejoice over them, that you celebrate when anyone turns from that path and turns to following you. We ask you for wisdom, Lord. Let it be seen in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we're devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?